podcast of the Biblical Christ Research Institute. For our written articles, go to bcri.wordpress.com. And for sermons, go to SoundCloud and search Biblical Christ Church. For comments and questions, email us at bcritrainofthought at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. All right. Episode 13. Episode 13, Train of Thought, podcast of the Biblical Christ Research Institute. Thank you all for joining us. We're looking forward to getting into this episode. As always, I got my, my boys with me. Got Deron Gladden. And then I have Eric Powers with me. And finally, <laughs> got my other brother, Michael Welling, with us. We've been trying to get him on for a while, but, you know, we're all busy. Got seriously busy schedules. So it's just really good to have him on with us to add some more insight to the things that we discuss. So today, I'm not going to waste a whole bunch of time here because uh, uh, Brother Eric is going to be steering the podcast today. But um, <clears throat> So today we're going to be talking about, in episode 13, we're going to be talking about the doctrinal triage. The doctrinal triage has to do with this so-called division of the doctrines of the Bible into primary, secondary, tertiary, and even probably more than that, into these different tiers. And uh, that is completely and patently unbiblical. Um, the Bible never divides doctrines into tiers as man has done. And it creates a lot of issues in the church. <clears throat> and the reason why I'm handing it over to uh, Brother Eric uh, to to steer it today. It's normally I try to steer it and ask the questions and stuff, but uh, Brother Eric wrote a thesis. And some of you have probably seen this thesis several, several, several times because we post it at least once a week. <laughs> so it's called, Is There Any Biblical Warrant for the Doctrinal Triage? And it is his thesis that he wrote when he was at the Master's Seminary. And it's a very important thesis, and we're in the process of trying to get it published. Um, so just pray for us in that area. The God will give us the wisdom that we need to go the right route in doing so, uh, because it's something that really needs to get out to everybody. Um, and once you understand the dangers of the doctrinal triage, and you treat all doctrine as being high value, you see that you'll see the Bible totally different way. And you'll treat everything totally different. It's, it's a life-changing experience when you get away from that doctrinal triage. So without further ado, I'm not going to waste too much time babbling here. Uh, I'm going to give the floor to Eric. And Eric, you can go ahead and take us where you want us to go. Yeah, I appreciate it, Chris. Thanks for doing this. Uh, Deron, Mike, how you doing? Uh, you guys, uh, jump in anytime when I'm going through this. I want to start by going over the kind of give you a timeline of the history timeline of the history of uh, how this came to be. And um, it, it really started, uh, this needs to be brought to the discussion because I, I got saved um, around 2008. And at the time I was a, an EMT basic and I was trying to be a career firefighter and a career um, EMT basic in the uh, county that I grew up in. 
And so I got all that, uh, the EMT basic training, firefighter one, and I was in the process of being hired in the county. And I worked at different uh, private ambulance companies. And so I had a lot of experience going in and out of nursing homes. I was exposed to 911 um, emergency medical um, technician basic. And I worked with paramedics. I drove them around. I drove ambulances for multiple um, private ambulance. And I rode in the ambulance also in the career department and as a volunteer firefighter. So I was exposed to triage, which is a secular um, form of pragmatism. It makes sense in emergency medical field. It makes sense in the emergency room. And so I was, that was a big part of my life. And this was the career path that I wanted to go in. And so I actually got hired in the county and I, and I was about to start um, recruit class. And this was in 2009. And because of the recession, the county commissioners, I guess, canceled the funding for the most recent hired firefighters. And I was told that they had to cancel the class after I was hired, after I went through the background investigation, after I did the oral interview with the captains and firefighter twos and, um, and uh, lieutenants and stuff. There's a whole panel of them. You have to, and they ask you questions and they take notes. It's like a formal interview. And then uh, you have the written test, which is really the first step. We have like thousands of people trying to get this, but they only have 30 positions. So I went through that. I went through the physical training, passed all that, passed, passed the um, background investigation and uh, passed the oral interview and I was hired. But then on Christmas, right around Christmas, I think it was Christmas Eve when I actually got the letter. They said, we regret to inform you that, you know, we had to cancel recruit class 30 something uh, because of uh, the recession. And if you want to get hired in this county again, you got to start all over again. And wow. so that I just got married and this is kind of the career path that I was going to go into. And so um, some time passed and people at uh, the church that I was at were encouraging me to go to Bible college. And so I dropped out of doing the firefighting thing. I wasn't really chasing after going to Bible college or being a, you know, a pastor. Mm -hmm. and, um, so I went into Bible college just because I wanted to study God's word and uh, study his word deeper and have what I thought at the time sound people instruct me concerning his word. And when it came to the school that I went to for Bible college, when it came to um, biblical hermeneutics, following the literal grammatical historical hermeneutic, which is scripture's self-attested hermeneutical principle. We're going to go over some scriptures that support what I'm saying, because this is not a philosophy of interpretation outside the Bible that we bring in to try to interpret the scriptures. But this is the literal grammatical historical hermeneutic is actually scripture's self-attested hermeneutical principles. In a word, I can say it like this, this is the way that the Bible tells us we're supposed to interpret the Bible. Mm -hmm. So this is not something that is... Uh, uh, a philosophy of man that's imposing upon the scriptures. This is actually how the Bible, how God is telling us he wants us to interpret his word, the literal grammatical historical hermeneutic. And I'll make a case for that um, th th during this episode. And we can even extend that further for further episodes when we're talking about biblical hermeneutics. Sure. So the school that, school that I went to historically maintained those principles. And so the guys, uh, a couple of the guys that actually instructed me in that, they were faithful in presenting that part of it, but you know, there's other um, forms of pragmatism, and uh, you know, in missiology, pragmatism, and uh, 
you know, in um, ecclesiology that they're taking, you know, this trying to be creative, maybe because they're bored about the way that God wants his church to be structured and function. Um, and they're taking these, these uh, business pragmatism, medical pragmatism, and military pragmatism principles, and bringing that in in the area of philosophy of ministry. And so I took exception to that because for me, I just wanted to defend. I was so excited in discovering these biblical, these biblical um, principles of hermeneutics. It was really exciting. And so for me, it was all God's word. It was the text about being text-driven, exegesis, and then exposition. Exegesis is drawing out the author's intended meaning from the text, and then exposition is then explaining the author's intended meaning. And so those, those things were so exciting for me, and I, and I, I wanted to uh, pursue that and dig in, uh, real deep in those biblical uh, principles of interpretation and structure my life and make the decisions concerning God's church, the way the blueprints of for how he wants his church to function. And so that was always my motive. You know what John Baptist said that uh, he wanted uh, Jesus to increase and he wanted to decrease. And that was kind of the, um, the attitude that I was bringing when I was even at Bible college, because I wasn't chasing after a position. I wasn't chasing after the fraternity and I wasn't chasing after man-made principles, eisegesis, and all the rest, and trying to be creative in missions, and trying to be creative in, um, in, the way, in, in how you bring people into church, and how you evangelize. But I wanted to go by what the Bible says, what God's Word says about how we're supposed to evangelize, how we're supposed to do missions, how we're supposed to structure the church, First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, the blueprints, First uh, Corinthians, Matthew, um, you know, the, the, the blueprints for how God wants his church to function. And I wanted to go by, I want to be by the book. I wanted to be by the book kind of guy, you know? And, uh, and so statements that Jesus made like every jot and tittle and second Timothy three sixteen and second Peter chapter one, verses 20 through 21, when it talks about, uh, true interpretation and second Timothy, when it talks about the origin of the scripture and the nature of the scripture, those things were, it was like gold for me. And so I started out uh, taking exception, listen to me very carefully, taking exception to this whole essentials versus non-essentials. So that started to come up a lot when I was in Bible, Bible college. And I always, you know, pointed people back to what, you know, biblical hermeneutics. So 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, you know, is referenced there, all of it. And so understanding the nature of God self-existence and uh you can't triage god you can't chop him up into pieces and say this one attribute is more important than this one you know and and uh take that approach take um man-made medical pragmatism like triage and and use that when you're talking about god's attributes you can't do that and uh and so I had a problem with that. And so for me, when I was studying this, I was looking at the, the nature of God in, in, that, in that sense. Um, and, then, and then understanding that, you know, in 2 uh, Timothy chapter 3, 16, uh, it's talking about the origin of the scripture, um, theopneustos in Greek, God breathed. Not that he breathed into the, the authors, but it, it's really talking about the origin where the scriptures come from. It's God breathed. And so if it's his word coming from him, it, re it reflects his nature. 
So if I can't triage him, if I can't use man-made, um, man-made uh, principles of interpretation, eisegesis to uh, triage his attributes, then certainly I can't do that with his word. And yeah. so for me, I had a problem with essentials and non-essentials. So I went to the church at the time that I was going to, that I was going to, I was actually a youth pastor at the time. And I'm going to bring out why this is important. The, the senior pastor there went to uh, Albert Moeller's um, uh, seminary. Um, it's in Kentucky. It's called uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. And so he was a graduate of there. And he told, told me, you know, he just, he just took Greek to get by. He doesn't really care about Greek. He doesn't really care about Hebrew. He just took the classes to get a grade to get by. And I'm here, I'm in Bible college trying to be a youth pastor at the time. And it's just bothering me, you know, because it's the same stuff. I'm just seeing the laziness of these people. And just because you go to seminary, you go to Bible college, doesn't mean you have that zeal uh, for the father's honor. You don't have that, you don't have that zeal for uh, literal grammatical, historical hermeneutics, God's self-attested principles for how he wants his, um, or scripture self-attested principles, you know, God, how God wants his word to be interpreted. Mm-hmm. Just because you, you go to seminary, you, you don't necessarily have that zeal. And, mm-hmm. and there's many people that go to seminary, many people go to Bible colleges across the country that are not even converted. They actually come out worse than when they went in. For sure. Because they, because they were never converted. Right. And, and so they become Pharisees. But you can always notice something. They don't become Pharisees because they're upholding the truth. They come, become Pharisees because they're upholding man-made uh, principles of interpretation. And that was Jesus' contention with the Pharisees. Yeah. So um, if someone has a zeal, a true zeal for God's glory, has a true zeal for his word, and is, and is accurately practicing exegesis, drawing out the author's intended meaning, and accurately practicing exposition, explaining the author's intended meaning, and application. You see the fruit in their life, okay? You see the, see the fruit of God the Spirit in their life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you see, you see the, uh, the tests of assurance of salvation from 1 John coming from their life. You see all of those features in someone. Um, they're not a Pharisee if they're upholding the truth of, of God's word. But I was always labeled as kind of being Pharisaical because I had a zeal in holding up the, uh, the truth. The truth was very important to me. And uh, you can't dichotomize love and truth because Paul didn't do that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. They're, they're, they harmonize one another. They go together. Okay? Absolutely. And so... So the, the, the Pharisees were, were a sect that they took um, man-made uh, principles of interpretation and they amalgamated and fused that with um, some things from Torah, you know, and, and they mixed it together. And uh, that's why it was so bad. And, uh, and I, I bring that up in, in the thesis, um, clearly in Matthew. Uh, Jesus had uh, a serious problem with them and took exception to them for those reasons. Um, and so we should definitely go over that because it has to do with um, this issue of um, literal grammatical historical hermeneutic. And so anyway, so he's saying, uh, so I'm telling him, the, this uh, senior pastor at the time that went to Al Moore School, I'm saying, hey, I'm sitting down with him saying, hey, I, I got a problem with this whole essentials versus non-essentials thing because I can't find it in the scripture where, where it says that 
where God's saying, you know, this is, um, this is essential. And then this is not essential when it comes to like his doctrine, his word, can you, can you show me where that is? And he couldn't, he couldn't show me. So what he immediately did was he appealed to Dr. Moeller, who's the president of, um, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in, in Louisville, Kentucky. And, uh, and he said, you know what, Eric, there's actually something that when I was in seminary, the president at the time, Albert Moeller, and this is when I was going to expose Albert Moeller, this is uh, back in like 2000, 2010, 11-ish, yeah. Yeah, in, that, in that time frame. Uh, he, he was saying that, um, uh, that when he was in seminary, that the president came out with this view and so he was attributing Dr. Moeller to being the architect of this view that, that I challenge in the thesis um, called uh, theological triage is the term that he uses. And so I use the term doctrinal triage because that's essentially what he's doing. He's triaging doctrine. He calls it theological triage. So if you Google theological triage, there's going to be quite a few uh, things are going to pop up before my thesis, certainly Dr. Moeller, because this came out in 2003, 2004, when he came out with this view to begin with. And so the way that it was described to me from this, uh, this pastor at his Baptist church is that uh, Dr. Moeller was in a emergency room and he was sitting there and he was watching how triage was functioning in the emergency room. And so he got the idea for it from that. So he borrowed that medical pragmatism and he wanted to bring it in um, because he noticed in modern evangelicalism, as it's been that way for quite some time, that there are multiple denominations that have different positions on things like eschatology, which is study of last things. Um, you know what the Bible describes as the, the, the end of, of the way things are in, in the present sense. And, uh, and then the eternal state. So many different denominations and theological schools have different positions across the board. And I, I honestly, I think if you're anybody who, who makes sense at all, that that should be kind of a concern for you when you read the Bible, when it describes about what true biblical unity looks like. I mean, there, there's, um, there's, there's points that Paul makes in Ephesians chapter four and, and Philippians when he's talking about, and, and Corinthians, uh, when he's talking to uh, Chloe's people, that he wants them all, or Chloe's people took brought same, that uh, same mind and the same yes. judgment. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so Chloe had a problem with that. So and the people with Chloe, and so they're um, they're, they're seeing how there's there's all these different factions are, that are being created, and so that should bother anybody. Okay, but the solution is not to keep the factions going and try to create some pseudo unity <laughs> from man-made medical pragmatism. It has its place in the medical field, in the secular world. And, and so in my thesis, I talk about the origin of this, which I, I need to bring up at great, great detail because it's very important. And it, it elucidates a lot concerning the concern that people would have for it. So, so I have the, to, just to interrupt you real quick, I actually have the, I have your book open or your thesis open. So uh -huh. uh, I want to read. Sure. Just, just so they can hear what Albert Muller said. Yes, his, his position. It's, yeah, it's I want in to the, read the quote. In the, in the introduction. Yeah, yeah I'm, please. I'm right here at it. He says, uh, and this was attributed to an article written on May 20th, 2004 by Albert Muller, president of SBTS. I'm not going to say the whole thing. He says, Today, Chris, today's Christian faces the daunting task of strategizing which Christian doctrines 
And theological issues are to be given highest priority in terms of our contemporary context. Theological seriousness and maturity demand that we consider doctrinal issues in terms of their relative importance. First level theological issues would include those doctrines most central and essential to the faith. Included among these most crucial doctrines would be doctrines such as the Trinity, the full deity and humanity of Jesus Christ, justification by faith, and the authority of scripture. The set of second order doctrines is distinguished from the first order set by the fact that believing Christians may disagree on the second order issues, though this disagreement will create significant boundaries between believers. When Christians organize themselves into congregations and denominational forms, these boundaries become evident. Second order issues would include the meaning and mode of baptism, Third order issues are doctrines over which Christians may disagree and remain in close fellowship even within local congregations. I would put most of the debates over eschatology, for example, in this category. Yeah, end quote. So that's, that's excellent. So that's, that's essentially um, the gist of what I got from this uh, graduate from that was past, senior pastor of the church I was at at the time. Um, and, and so he, he described it kind of like, you know, if if you have three people that come into the emergency room, one got shot in the foot, one got shot in the, you know, the torso, and one got a headshot uh, to, the, uh, you know, headshot, got shot in the head, that they would show priority to the, the gunshot wound to the head before they would treat, you know, if all three of them came in at the exact same time. And then he said, you look, Eric, you need to, you need to, you need to approach a doctor in the same way. You know, we need to focus on the, those, those issues that are first tier, you know, like that uh, Dr. Mueller br brings up, and then we can move to second tier and then third tier. But when it comes to our relationships with other professing Christians that disagree with us, um, we should kind of have this ecumenical relationship with them that uh, we don't really deal with second and third, but we all just unite around, you know, the uh, first tier. And he explained that to me. And so I thought at the time uh, I, 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 uh, I had, I had them, everybody with the essentials versus non-essentials. Cause I was going around saying, you know, championing my position over that. And then when he brought that up, um, I was like, wow. Cause I had never heard anything like that at the time. And so he comes before me, uh, Dr. Moeller back in 2003, 2004, that he uh, came up with this idea and so I didn't get saved until around 2008. And now here I find myself as a youth pastor in, um, in 2010, 11 in Bible college. And uh, it just seemed like this giant red dragon was in front of me and just trying to stomp on my head with all this stuff and just flood me with uh, <laughs> a remarkable amount of military medical and business pragmatism, which I recognize, I could, I could smell it because that categorized my life in my profession, you know, that I was pursuing when I was in my twenties. So with, with that, with having said that, that's, that's what, uh, got me, you know, uh, thinking about this. And so I lit, here's the thing with me though. I listen to what he said though. He's, he's telling me that this is what Dr. Moeller and I'd listened to Dr. Moeller for quite some time at that point, you know, for a couple of years after, you know, I was a Christian and I had respect for Dr. Moeller. 
I had a respect for a lot of those platform people, um, like Vody Bachman, Paul Washer, Moeller, uh, Dever, uh, Lincoln Duncan, R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, all those famous, more conservative evangelicals, the ones that are saying that they're holding to these principles. These guys I listened to a lot, and, uh, and I was very intrigued about, you know, the sermons that they were uh, producing and uh, the theological resources that they're producing. Probably was, I probably was more influenced by Dr. MacArthur and Dr. Sproul than, than anyone else. But I still, you know, I listen to a lot of people. And so for me at the time, I, I was listening to what uh, this pastor was saying, and, um, you know, I thought to myself, if the Bible supports this, because, you know, in no way am I, am I infallible, but the God's word is infallible. If this is what God's word teaches, then, then I want to agree with it because I want to think God's thoughts after him. I want to practice exegesis. And so like, like we're supposed to do, you got to test, you got to test what people are saying. Okay, you got to look at it. You know, if you have an argument that uh, theological triage employs business pragmatism, medical pragmatism, military pragmatism, then then people need to listen to what you have to say because you could be right. Because you know, perhaps this is eisegesis. Just because Dr. Moeller is saying it, although we we respect him, we don't want to um, practice. uh, You know, um, logic. uh, Just uh, we don't want to slander and we don't want to um, malign his name, yeah. mal- malign someone yeah. or, you know, and just, uh, and just be obnoxious just because we disagree with him. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I respect him. I actually gave his yeah. office a copy. I went down to um, Kentucky. I, I was at a, I was at a, um, I was going to, uh, I was at a conference. So I, so me and, and Mike went down to Kentucky um, real quick and dropped off the thesis, his office. He was in his office. Um, his secretary was there. I wrote him a note, put my phone number on it, uh, said, I respect you. Um, please read this. I take exception to your position. Please read this and please, you know, reach out to me. I gave him my contact information. And so he, he's a guy that everyone just, uh, uh, you know, I, I do believe people make an idol out of him because of what he's accomplished. And so he reads, um, he's, he's uh, described, uh, some of you brothers might know better than I, I do about his accomplishments when it comes to his, his reading uh, abilities and his library and stuff. He's, he's said to read, I don't know the statistics, but a lot of people have bragged about his uh, ability to read several books and-, mm-hmm. and um, Yeah, I read, a, I read an article. Retain the information. About how, well. how, how much he reads. I don't remember the exact but he's like a voracious reader and he retains quite a bit of it. So, so in, in Christ, there's no fraternity. There's no like um, tiers of importance when it comes to, you know, like Al Mohler's first importance and Eric Powers is 15 importance. And I'm not trying to make a name for myself. I'm just saying, um, you know, if, if I was in that position and someone came to me and said, look, you know, I challenge your position. I respect you. Can you please read what I have to say? I'd be crazy not to read it. So uh, I, there's no reason there's no reason why he shouldn't have read it. I mean, it is a it is a uh, this is an academic thesis. If you're about the truth, then you will seek after it to see if it's true or not. Right. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That, that's the bottom line. I mean, that that should be the driving principle behind all all of our attitudes in this. 
but in the in the academic world i mean i i this is the this is the certificate that this is an an academic thesis that's copywritten that's published so you can have you can get access to it you get access to it through the biblical christ research institute but you can get access to it probably through any library and um you know, in academic uh, world, you know, we talk about these things, you know, this is something that should interest someone who is, you know, in that, in that sphere that is, that these things are, are important to them. You shouldn't just brush it aside. And so there's some people that have taken exception to my thesis, but I'll point out that thousands of people have already read it. We've gotten lots of clicks on the Bill Christ Research Institute since we published this um, online uh, through WordPress. So this is the, the, another thing about these theses is, that we, that we have, or this thesis is that um, it's, it's, it's an academic thesis. It's not for sale. It's free. It's available to anybody to read it. Cause I'm more interested in people um, defending and upholding literal grammatical historical hermeneutics. Yeah. The truth. Yes. God's uh, principles of interpretation. I'm more interested in that than making a name for myself or to make money. And so that, that was something that uh, Duran and I and, and Mike, and, and you, Chris, this is something that, that we all kind of felt at the time. And I'm going to bring up how you guys came, came into the, the discussion because I think people listening need to, need to realize that when we're talking about what real biblical unity looks like. And so uh, I had a fall. So go back to the timeline of history here. I had a falling out with that pastor. I left. I resigned from that church. I did not split the church. I did not have a, a secret Bible study senior pastor was told that I was going over the biblical covenants at my house with a group of people that were interested in it. He was told and he was actually invited, but it later he slandered me and said that it was a secret Bible study, blah, blah, blah. Um, 40% of that church, I did not split. Some people are lying and saying I split 40% of the church. Uh, one particular guy that takes exception to me that graduated from the same seminary that I went to uh, at one point, I have documented that he said that I split 20% of the church that he went in and asked the pastor about. Um, but in a much later date, he changes the number to 40%. And I have documented at one point, he says 20%. And another point, he says 40%. And I went back to that uh, pastor actually tried to get me kicked out of seminary. And I asked him, why did you try to get me kicked out of seminary and write the seminary and say that I split your church? You know, I didn't split your church. And, and I have him on the, on my uh, recording saying, I didn't know it was you. And I said, well, I, I have the letter in my hand that you wrote. He said, no, I wrote that to the church. He says, no, you wrote it to Ray Maringer, Dean of Students. So uh, there's a group of people, just like Paul had, everyone had, you know, everyone who stand up for truth is going to have people that are going to take exception. They're going to be jealous. This was the only theological this, this was the only thesis that was written in my graduation class, by the way, for the MDiv. It wasn't a requirement, but for me, I was like, why not use that um, as, as, a, uh, um, as credits to graduate instead of taking um, some other class that I don't need that has to do with uh, business pragmatism? Why not write a thesis? You know, I think at one point it was required for the MDiv. I could be wrong on that, but... Uh, it's not required to graduate, but for me it was because I used it as an elective and I got quite a bit of amount of credits for it. So why not do that? You know, are, guys are not, are they not interested in, in doing this anymore? 
Are they just interested in, in, in having a, having a, a paycheck? Are they just interested in, uh, like I'm saying, just flying through seminary, just like this other senior pastor and saying, you know, Greek's not really that important to me. Hebrew's not really that important to me. You know, what's more important to me is being creative in missions by using military, business, and medical pragmatism or whatever, basketball outreach, whatever have you. Um, I'll, tell, I'll tell you, brother, you know, the, the, the net effect of this is we said it on, a, on a, an episode where we looked at your thesis together. You know, the net effect of this is you begin to triage men. And so you see the shiftlessness in these people who attack sound hermeneutics and they end up in these so-called churches and they can't stay put for more than a year or two when they're yes, on exactly. to the next place because they've begun exactly. to triage they begin to triage people according to according to a certain matter of importance exactly you know if you're not important to achieve my ministry objective then i have to move on and go to another place that's important right and and that's that's um the exact opposite of what the bible says that we're supposed to treat each other um in christianity they look at that it's a job to them so mm-hmm. that's simply just it's a job right. so they can look at people numerically and who's going to keep their job and who's not going to. And that goes far deeper into what means discipline, theological doctrine, whatever you want to go down that road. Absolutely. So, uh, Eric yeah, so, went into it out of love for Christ and truth. He went absolutely. into it that way. He didn't go into it coveting a job and money and financial stability. And he knows how to work with his own hands, unlike most of these people. Absolutely. So. Yeah, exactly. So back, back to the, um, the timeline. Um, or no, back, back to the, you know, that group that's, uh, that takes exception. Like yeah. at one point, at one point, uh, one of them who called it a trash thesis later before he called it a trash thesis, uh, met with, uh, one of my friends and said, Hey, I read Eric's thesis. And he goes, Oh, okay. What'd you think? He was like, it was good. But then later because of the mood of the mob and the influence of the fraternity, he says it's a trash thesis. And, and, and the other guy who, who took exception to me, tried to get me kicked out of seminary, who slandered me, um, you know, who lied and slandered. And, and I have documented evidence of this. And so that's why he wasn't successful because I didn't, you know, he lied and he slandered and he tried to create a kangaroo court and you just can't yeah. do that. I, I offered to sit down with him one-on-one and we can talk about it, but he wanted, uh, he, he panicked um, and he went around and he tried to get a group of people and it was an ambush. It was a real legitimate ambush. And this historically happened. And, and so why can't I talk about it? Why can't I challenge uh, particular features if I'm saying, hey, business pragmatism, military pragmatism, medical pragmatism, that, you're, that uh, you know, so, you know even, even at the seminary that I went to, I res- I, it's, it's, uh, wh- why can't I, if I have a legitimate criticism, speak up and point it out? I just don't get it. Okay. So I, I respect Dr. MacArthur. I respect all the professors. None of them had a problem with me except when, um, the, the mood of the mob came in and tried to, uh, to, to stir up, uh, you know, a, um, defamation case and slander against me. But for the most part, um, no one really had a problem with me because I didn't really give them a problem. See, I just worked really hard. Uh, I was in the library. I had good grades. Uh, I worked hard. I took care of my family. I was active at church. You know, I was, uh, I was doing the things that they, they were asking of me. And so there was no reason for, the, for them to dismiss me over something. You asked them, you know, what exactly did Eric do? And they couldn't give an answer. 
they just uh, put together some, some um, outrageous things and uh, none of them really had any weight. And so, you know, it was the decision of the seminary to, to not give in. And it was a good thing because uh, they didn't show partiality to the mood of the mob and to the fraternity, you know, they gave me a favorable adjudication. And so back to, uh, so I left that, I left that church to go to another church and um, that the past senior pastor take exception to me. Uh, he, he was, um, uh, he basically confessed that he was, you know, that he was practicing uh, pornography, senior pastor. Um, and there's a bunch of other things. There's anger issues. I didn't agree with the doctrine of a lot of his positions because a lot of it was wrong. You know, his position of the church, there were no elders. I brought my concerns just like I'm bringing now about this, you know, theological triage. And so, you know, he got angry. And so I, I um, went into his office and I, I bowed out graciously and I resigned. And I said, I don't, I don't want to take anybody with me. You know, those people that you're also having problems with, which was much less than 20%. Um, you know, I'm not taking, you know, they, they're not, I'm not um, trying to influence them. They have to make a decision on their own. All these people left at different times, by the way. It wasn't just like one massive exodus of 20, 40%. You know, I resigned and I didn't want to go to that church anymore because I tried to work things out with him and uh, he would not listen to me. And I, I believed that I was correct in, in when I was talking about doctrine and that he was incorrect. And so I could not sit under him because I don't even believe the guy is converted. He's, he, keeps, he kept lying. He lied when I asked him, why did you write the seminar? I didn't know it was you is what he said. He's practicing uh, pornography, etc. He's yelling at the church, you know, in meetings. Uh, he's practicing pragmatic means that he borrowed from a book when it comes to church discipline, discipline yeah. all those things. And, so, and, I, and, and I said, for these reasons, here they are, for these reasons, I can no longer serve with you. I'm moving on. And so that's the truth. And um, so I got into the master seminar, went out there, and uh, it was great because that's, you know, it's the only seminar I wanted to go, w go to because of, there was a, um, I think I have it here. Hold on one second. Yeah, here it is. I had been studying the covenants. And so here, here's the, um, the Master Seminary Journal, Introduction to Biblical Covenants, you have the Noahic Covenant. Yeah. Yes, Noahic Covenant, Priestly Covenant by Irvin A. Busnitz, Abrahamic Covenant by Keith Essex, the Mosaic Covenant by William Barrick, the Vedic Covenant by Michael Grisanti, and the New Covenant, Larry uh, Pettigrew. I, I, I never met him. I think he left. Did, Duran, did he leave by the time? I, we... Yeah, I think, he, I think he preceded our time there. Yeah. So I read this. this uh, I read these offline online I didn't have the, the journal at the time and it's because of this here that i went to that seminary I mean, i've been listening to john MacArthur on the radio and so that was definitely a plus but as i was studying the, the distinctions between dispensationalism and covenant theology and i was studying the covenants and i read this i thought this was like the greatest thing ever writ uh, that i ever wrote um sorry that i ever read i didn't write it this is the greatest thing i i ever uh, read outside of the Bible when it came to the covenants. And so I was like, this is, this is excellent. They're talking about these biblical principles of hermeneutics. 
Greek and Hebrew and all those features. Um, and so I've, I've, I, I've read this so many times, it's almost as if I could say that I did write it because this is, <laughs> this is uh, one of my most treasured things outside of the Bible, this right here. And I went to Dr. Boosnitz and I told him this and uh, Keith Essex. And so that's why I went to that seminary. And, and so I'm there, I'm studying, I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm spending time in the library. I love it, man. Um, you know, working hard. And so when it came up to the time to, uh, to write this thesis, this is the, the position I want to write on because I was heavily concerned about, about this position because it, for this reason, listen, the reason why this is such a problem for me, why I have such a concern about this is because people are treating theological triage as if it is a principle of biblical interpretation. And so unless it is warranted from the text, my thesis is you cannot use this as a principle of biblical interpretation. But if there is evidence in the text for theological triage, then, um, you know, then I fold. And, uh, and I don't fold just because this is a competition or because I want to make a name for myself, or because I just want to argue for the sake of arguing. I want to know what the correct position is. Right. And, if, and if, the, if God's word teaches this, then I want to practice this. Yeah. But if he does not teach this, then I don't want to practice it. It's really that simple. Okay? I don't care about other denominations and if they disagree with me. Um, I want to respectfully sit down with Presbyterians if they have a different view when it comes to eschatology. I want to sit down with them and debate them, um, you know, in a mature way, in a godly way. And I would yeah. say to those who have taken exception to me, you know, I, I want to welcome you to, to debate me, to actually have a debate with me, to, to reach out to me. I'll go anywhere and I'll debate anyone just as long as I can get off work. I'll even set it up on here. It's, yeah. it's not even we, an issue. Yeah, we can do that. So, but what happened was the guy, one of these guys took exception to me, the, you know, talking about trash and all the rest, and, and he called it false teaching, but he didn't say why it's false teaching. So anyone can say, yeah. yep. a, a, anyone can, can make that slanderous claim, say, hey, that's false teaching, but you got to tell me why it's false teaching. Right. And if it really is false teaching, then I want to repent and I don't want to teach false teaching. But he and, didn't say that. And, 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 and not, 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 only sorry, that, not only that, he, um, he blocked me first on Facebook so that he's writing this so I can't actually read what he's writing about. So that's the kind of cowardice that reflects someone who's not converted. But if, you're, um, if you have courage and you're interested in the truth, we can sit down and have a real, real debate. Reason not, with one another. In reason, yes. And not be a coward and not practice slander to, um, you know, for whatever reason, jealousy or to, because uh, someone higher than you in your, um, your hierarchy, hierarchy. Uh, one, you know, you think that if you do, if you do his dirty work for him, he'll promote you and give you that position that you wanted, but you didn't get it. So you which, left, which, which never happens, which never, and I, because what I was going to say is there's another individual um, that he's joining himself to this slander under the auspices of what we're doing is a drift. And I've only had 
uh, flattering, not me to him, but him to me, flattering conversations with him in private. Um, I challenge him too. He knows who he is. I challenge you, state your position plainly. If you believe that what we're teaching is doctrinally adrift, because this isn't in secret, this is a live recording. This is us preaching sermons. Um, you know, this individual's making the same statement kind of on the back end out here. Uh, I challenge you also to step forward and state your position. If I'm adrift, call me to repent, call us to repent uh, from a position that you have that you believe is both biblical and scriptural. Don't, don't do it because you want to, you know, you're trying to get into the seminary by picking off some guys uh, that have been identified as enemies, but state your position plainly from the scripture exactly. and call us, call us to that position. And I'll be one to that position if I'm wrong, but I don't believe we're wrong. So it's, yeah, like you, it's like you said, step yeah. out, step out from the group think, step out from the collective mindset, mm -hmm. be courageous, like Eric said, and challenge us. If, if you can prove biblically, I mean, rightly divided biblically, that yes. we're wrong, then we will repent and we yeah, will right, change right. our stance to the right one. Because all four of us, we want to get to the bottom of the truth. We want to know yeah. the truth. Yeah. And, and, and write your own thesis. Correct. That too. Yeah, and ch challenge challenge the arguments I'm making. Just don't say false teaching because anyone can say that. You're just trying to create, you know, this uh, this slanderous narrative. narrative. Yeah, yeah just because uh, people are, are for the most part, you know, they'll listen to what someone says and just you know dismiss it, or whatever. And so you're just flooding people with uh, with this nonsense. And so uh, there's that. But also, look, I want to address some of the accusations. So none of no, no one here in this panel. There's four people here on the screen. For those that are listening right now, none of these, none of us hold to what is called sinless perfectionism. Nope. And I, I bring that up at the end of the thesis in, um, you know, in 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 the, uh, uh, what is it called? The not addendum. Um, the appendix. Yeah, one of the appendixes. Yeah. And, and then so there's that, but also this is not. Uh, none of us here hold to doctrinal regeneration you have to know every single position of god's word in order to be regenerate okay and so th those are just nonsensical shots that to, to, to try to like it's uh, to scare you off trying to, to examine scare you off at first place not to read it yeah. and so yeah. so you should no one should really have any fear to read something okay mm. you know i'm not in i'm not infallible this thesis is not god's word in the sense that I, you know, I do not have the gift of inspiration. There's some people like John Piper that, you know, it, it would seem as if, you know, he's, he's acting kind of like, oh, listen to one, one clip and I'll play that clip for everybody if you don't believe me, but he's kind of, he's kind of, uh, it sounds like he's making a case that his books, his writings that he's gifted by God and he's being inspired, you know, and uh, he made some dangerous statements and we can, we can talk about that later. And also we can do a series in pneumatology. Because, I, you know, I'm a cessationist. I think everyone on the panel here, I know for a fact, actually, everyone on the panel here yeah. are cessationists. Absolutely. And so it's, uh, it's, it's extremely important. Um, and it should be important to everyone listening. And so the, I don't think the distinction between continuationism and cessationism is a second-tier issue. I think it's no. a primary issue. Absolutely. I would agree. All of those things that Moeller brings up as primary, I, I, I would say, are absolutely essential. I would say that the discussion between pneumatology, um, discussion about pneumatology between continuationism and cessationism, I would say that is also essential. Mm -hmm. 
You should immediately have a problem anytime a man is telling you what's essential and non-essential. Absolutely. Immediately should have a problem. Man doesn't yeah. determine what's true and what's not. God does. And he already laid it out before us and, and through the apostles. I exactly. want to say something real quick, too, to that, to what you were talking about, Eric. And some people may be listening and might say, hey, what, what exactly does this have to do with, with, doc, you know, with the, the triage and, and your thesis and everything? And it has everything to do with it because um, we're talking about these things just like uh, in Scripture they marked men who were, who were divisive and tried to cause division. And so we're not naming names, essentially, because they know who they are. But our concern is not about our name. It's about Christ's name. We're defending truth. We believe that this is the truth, and we'll die for the truth. And so for us, it, we don't want it to be a stumbling block for others listening to what we have to say because someone else is saying, well, these guys believe this. And, and I challenge anybody listening that takes exception to us because of what someone says, you will stand before God one day and give an account. And it will not be, oh, I, I believe this about Mike. It'll be, what well, did Mike say? What Mike said was true, or what Eric said was true, or what Duran said was it true, or what Chris said was it true. Not your feelings, not your emotions, not what someone else says. You measure us against the word of God. And granted, you only get so many sound bites with us right here. You may not know us, but measure what we're saying against the word of God. Read the thesis and measure it against the word of God, and then come back. Your presuppositions of whether you don't like someone or what someone tells you to believe means nothing when you stand before God. You will give an account. I will give an account. And so I don't fear reading other people's views or what other people have to say if I'm solidified in what I believe. And if I go to that and I'm wrong, then I will bow down to that and to the truth. But if I'm right, it will only make me stronger. And that's not arrogant. That is being stern in the faith and trusting God's word and resting on the apostolic doctrine. It's the right. bottom line. We are not here to fight anybody, but to fight for the truth. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And um, um, the other the other thing is, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. That was um, <laughs> you know, brother, if if I can, because I know my you're... mind was moving past my. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, I know you're leading into a point that I I feel like can lend perspective on your work here because you mentioned the well, time that you spent writing this thesis yeah I, I, I remember what it was um okay god god forbid if any any of us should accuse someone falsely by the way absolutely yeah yeah that the segue what mike was saying you know we you know we we have evidence for the claims that we're making absolutely yeah go ahead sorry to run um no i you know i wanted to say and i don't know if i'm jumping ahead of you but just very quickly you know um what you know what can be somewhat of a i wouldn't even say a discouragement but what men have to be careful in is that when you produce a thesis of this magnitude any thesis but a thesis that is really challenging kind of the so-called status quo and you know there's steps to this there's 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 a sense in which you know this had to be researched the the research and the environment in which it was done had to be approved the project had to be advised uh, and then it had to meet with approval and an argument and effective argumentation biblically in order to be published. And then it was published. And so it wasn't as though this was kind of some backhanded devotional, uh, you know, devotional blog paragraph that we wrote, that we wrote that, you know, just kind of slipped in somewhere. Um, I can tell you just being with Eric in the years in seminary, uh, that this brother was diligent in following the steps. He met with professors every single step of the way he kept his appointments 
uh, in terms of even meeting professors. I believe you met them either for lunch or at their homes at times. And I remember being pulled into the research process and it sharpened me because what my role in it was is basically brother fight me, argue with me on the basis of that. We don't believe in devil's advocate, but on the basis of what arguments do you think will come up against this thesis and let's successfully research those arguments as well. Uh, This brother used his own money to purchase a medical journal to, to lend some background. I mean, this is a this is a thesis that was not simply haphazardly done, seeking for immediate, uh, you know, evangelical sponsorship or publishing. It was, it was done with both zeal and humility, and and you know, I believe I don't want to steal your thunder here, brother, but I believe the words of uh, Dr. Essex as he was the one, you know, professor I, I do respect. Uh, he was the one who advised it. He said you made your point. I believe that was his words to you. Um, when it when it was a completed project, correct me if I'm wrong there. Yeah, yeah. So, and, so there and were wanna... there were many steps that went along to this being published, and it was under the very scrutinizing and watchful eye of of, of people at that institution. So, um, yeah, and and if and if Dr. Essex is listening, uh, I want to thank him for for helping me. Um, I learned a lot from him. Um, I have a voice in this. I have a voice as as one of the people that sat under him. Yeah. has benefited from his, his ministry and he can't take that away. I mean, if he wants to say now later, you know, um, I take it back then, you know, it is what it is. But, um, as someone who, uh, sat under S Lewis Johnson, I believe he sat under S Lewis Johnson, I believe when he was in seminary, uh, that was, uh, something that was very appealing to me because when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to positions across the board, um, someone who has that sort of platform that someone like S. Lewis Johnson or uh, John MacArthur, et cetera. Um, S. Lewis Johnson is, him and I are, are very, are almost identical when it comes, um, I would think, I don't think, I can't think of anything I would disagree with him when it comes to doctrine. And so um, you can't take that. I mean, people, you need to hear what I have to say. I have a voice. You can't just flood people and try to step all over me and get me to shut up and not say what I have to say, all you guys. So here's the thing, going back to the, the timeline, um, Duran, Mike, and Chris all had a part, and Matt Lawrence all had a part in helping me write this. And, and really, every, um, every student that I interacted with, both at the college and at the seminary, I purposely bounced ideas off of students um, where I worked at the college, also at the seminary, to see what they had to say ask them questions. Hey, did you think about this? Did you think about that? And, and, and I, and I, I wanted to hear, you know, if they, if they agreed or if they disagreed, why? It was very respectful in that. Uh, Duran and Matt Lawrence walked with me through this. There are lines in this thesis that, that they said to me that I said, Hey, say that again. And they said it like a sentence. And I said, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't say it any better than that. I'm putting that in there. Say it again. And then we'd write it out on a piece of paper. Uh, Mike and I had been talking about this for a long time. When Chris started the Bulldogmatics, that gave me an opportunity to kind of flex a little bit and practice these things when it came to the literal grammatical historical hermeneutic, because that's what I was championing on that uh, interaction we had on Bulldogmatics. We were just talking about the distinctions between dispensationalism and uh, covenant theology in the Abrahamic covenant, like I was saying, like if you're yeah. using a little grammatical historical hermeneutic, then, um, then how can you interpret the soteriology from the Abrahamic covenant and not 
interpret the eschatology from the Abrahamic covenant the same way. So you got to be consistent. If you, if, if, if you want to use a little grammatical historical hermeneutic for the soteriology, then you got to use it for the eschatology. Mm-hmm. But if you use a literal grammatical historical hermeneutic for the soteriology from the Abrahamic covenant, then you can't use allegory for the eschatology. So you got to stay consistent. Right. So in that sense, um, just being able to articulate these things and write these things out and have debates with people online through that platform that Chris was providing, it, that, that, that helped me get to the point that I needed to be as far as thinking about the arguments that I was going to present in this thesis and talking about biblical hermeneutics. This, is, this thesis is really an exercise in biblical hermeneutics and these principles. Yeah. So in a sense, uh, all three of you guys wrote this as well with me. My name's on it in, my, in the copyright, um, but Matt Lawrence, um, Deron Gladden, Mike Wellen, Chris Williams, all in, in a sense um, were kind of like ghost writers. Or I was a go- I was a ghost writer in in, in, in many respects. Uh, we're all we're all kind of ghost writers, but if you use the term properly, you know, I was a ghost writer. When it comes to you guys um, contributing to how you feel about, I mean, how what you want to express concerning this particular topic, and when I mean I mean feel, I don't mean like emotionally, but you know that that passion and zeal that you have for protecting sound biblical hermeneutics. Go ahead. Yeah. I want people listening to to really think through what's been said here and, and, this, and the reality of how cowardly these men were. The same men that graduated from masters appealed to men to get Eric kicked out. The same men that actually said, Eric, well done. This is done right. The hypocrisy, don't get lost on that. They appealed to man, not God's word, man, to, to stop Eric and what he was doing. And these same men pointed back to God's word said, we found nothing. These same men said, Eric, well done. Do not lose sight of that. Yeah, that's, that's an important uh, point. Um, the other thing, too, is um, uh, true biblical unity. I yeah. think, well, we got, we got another half an hour. Yeah, I got 30 minutes. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of time on how this, how this came to be. So but uh, it was, but uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do another part. We'll do as many parts as you need. Yeah, I'd like to walk through the arguments because I want to sure. present these, these yeah, arguments no and talk about how this came to be so that if, if someone does take exception, um, mm-hmm. engage the arguments. Um, yes. You know, you already you went, out, went after my life and couldn't find anything. And if you can find something in my life Come to me. that, that, um, that disqualifi- disqualifies me in, in, in some capacity, then, then please bring it before me and, and I'll repent because, you know, I, I want to be, I, I want to, I want to have a clear conscience before the Lord. And I do believe that uh, men, uh, the iron sharpens iron and men can come and point out things, uh, but I'm going to challenge it. You know, I'm going to challenge it from God's word and not from man's uh, pragmatism or yeah. damage control or, you know, them upholding principles of their own jealousy yeah. and, and strife, et cetera. So, um, yeah, count, countless nights, you know, I was working overnight and going to school all day. And then Duran can uh, testify to this. I, I was basically in the library. Like, you know, I was in there sitting right next to Crisanti as he's doing what he, he went to the um, college library. And I was there in those little uh, book nooks just studying. I was at, at the, um, the library at the seminary back and forth, like doing research back and forth. I'm going to bring out why this is important. 
because uh, I was going through church history. I was going through the secular world. I was tracing the etymology of the word triage, where it comes from. I was tracing, you know, I was, I was looking at dictionaries that actually tell you the first time this word in the English language shows up in, in, in a journal or in a, um, in society at large, really, that's been documented. Yeah. And so uh, the Master Seminary had just the, the most wonderful resources when it came to that. And, and also the, um, also the, uh, the library at the college. And so I was exposed to just the, the most wonderful resources and so much information. And I dug deep and, and, I, and I'm presenting these things. And if I, I could be wrong on certain things, you know, someone could find something that uh, contradicts, you know, but, you know, it's, it's a factual statement, you're fact checking. Uh, but, but some of, uh, going back to some of the um, criticisms that people had. Now, listen, there's been, a lot, there's been a lot of criticisms, but there's also been a lot of people that have commended it. There's been a lot of people that have graduated from the seminary yeah. that, have, that have said, well done, this is really good. Mm -hmm. uh, one guy said the content in there is gold. So we got to present both sides. Both sides yeah. uh, there's, there's a lot of people. There's professors that have agreed with me, uh, professors that are still there that have, that have agreed with me. There, there are students that have agreed with me. There are some students that did not want to agree with me, but they said, man, you got me. Um, that happens. <laughs> um, so I appreciate them being candid. Um, you know, there's some people that said, yeah, you're right, but I'm not going to go there yet. Um, and that, you know, that, that's, that's where they're at. Not the answer for that, yeah. but, um, it is what it is. But a lot of people have commended this. A lot of people that have not gone to seminary have read this because I, I wanted to write this thesis in a sense that it's not just an academic exercise and that you have to be trained at the seminary level or Bible college to be able to read this thing. I, right. I wanted to write it in such a way that, uh, something that I learned from RC Sproul way back in, in how you're kind of looking at things in a general sense and I structured this whole thesis like this, starting with historical theology, then going into biblical theology, and then doing systematic theology. And, and, and so I structured it, and I think those are all important. I structured the chapters that way. And we've actually structured the entire Biblical uh, Christ Research Institute that way with historical theology, biblical theology, and systematic theology. When I talk about historical theology, look at the topic historically. Look at the t any topic, really. You know, what did, what did uh, in, the, in the church, going back to the patristic age, going back to the apostolic age, which we have the New Testament that reflects the apostolic age, yeah. you look at the patristic age, go back to the early church fathers like Irenaeus and all the rest, and what did they say about this uh, passage, and what did they say about that passage? You know, uh, were, they, were they practicing exegesis and exposition? What did they have to say, and were they arguing about this? Was this brought up then? Then look at the medieval period and, and different theologians that were in that period. Did they, did they bring this up? Talk about this. What about the Reformation? What did John Calvin have to say about this? What did Martin Luther have to say about this? I actually bring up Martin Luther in the thesis. I didn't want to dive in so much into um, a discussion about um, essentials versus non-essentials, but that was a major, major point that they were arguing about during the Reformation. And Martin Luther was very, very strong on his position of what he thought about the discussion of essentials versus non-essentials, which I reflect a, um, I, I, I capture a, um, a quote from him historically yeah. and what he, we had to say about that, you know, but did John, did John Calvin say something about this? Did John Knox say uh, something about this? Uh, 
yeah, what's that? Uh, Charles Spur- Spurgeon. Yeah, and then yeah, Spur- and, and then later in the in the Puritan age, you know, John Bunyan and other Puritans that we respect. What did they? What did they say about this? And then was really considered maybe one of the last Puritans. Um, the very very end of the Puritan age during um, uh, Victorian England, right? Is yep. uh, is Charles Spurgeon? And did Charles Spurgeon talk about essentials versus non-essentials, or did or, or did he talk about triage? And then so also wanted to trace the the um, the origin of the word in the secular world and and the business pragmatism and where it came out of, and so that was all, it's all part of this historical theology because really the West Western world is. Um, either in a positive sense or negative uh, sense has been um, ha- has come from Christianity in a negative sense, in the sense that I'm saying that they've uh, apostatized. They twisted it. So, so it's, it's not an attack against Christianity, it's just an attack against the, you know, the different philosophers and, uh, and people throughout the last 2000 years that have deviated away from the word of God and have apostatized or, uh, versus those that were sound um, in their in their exegesis and in their exposition, and so that's all important when you're talking about historical theology. When you're talking about biblical theology, you're going to the Hebrew and you're going to the Greek, and um, and parts of the Old Testament were written in uh, Aramaic, and you're looking at that, and that's that's your biblical um, biblical theology. I understand people have not everyone has been trained in Greek and Hebrew and that's okay. So I wanted to write this in the sense, it's kind of like I'm giving you the, the, the Greek term and then I'm spelling in English and uh, anyone can, everyone can get that. So this, this is the term that you see from the, from the, from uh, the Greek text and here yeah. it is in English and here's the definition of it. And, and this is what is, this is the, uh, the, the word form it's in, you know, the, um, you know, it's a noun, verb, all that stuff. People can, people can get that. And it's, it's very clearly laid out, all those things. And it's in, in some footnotes and stuff. You just take the footnote down and you read the Greek. And, and that's great. I mean, you don't have to go to seminary to, to read that. It's all laid out for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's really important because the New Testament was, the, the original autographs were written in Greek. That was, that was the, uh, the language that God used, the human authors, to write down what God wanted the scriptures in the New Testament. He's Greek. And then that was later translated into English. And that's, that's not a problem for me or anybody. And then when we talk about systematic theology, the doctrine of God, his attributes, um, a, system, a system, systematizing scripture, what all scripture says, you know, from Genesis to Revelation about this attribute that he has, um, about a self-existence, which is a major argument I have for the integrity of his word appealing to his self-existence. And, uh, or the doctrine of ecclesiology. What are the implications that uh, triage has in the sphere of ecclesiology? That's a systematic discussion. Um, or eschatology. Or what is someone saying about this and that, etc. These are all things that should be very exciting to anyone who professes to be a Christian. This isn't, this isn't uh, overwhelming people or flooding them with just head yeah. knowledge and puffing up. This is stuff, you know, you, you were meant to think. And if you're a Christian, you need to think God's thoughts after him. And we have this long line of faithful acumen of, of sound brothers and sisters that, that made much of, eisege, of exegesis uh, that went against eisegesis. Eisegesis is reading your own opinion into the text. But many, many men who uh, championed exegesis, drawing out the author's intended meaning, and they were interested in exposition. And a lot of them were not educated. You know, they didn't go to seminary. 
Yeah, they so, didn't have a formal education. Yes, and I'm not knocking formal education because mm-hmm. some of them did. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm not the guy that's going to that's going to not go that that's going to take exception to going to seminary. I benefited from the seminary that I went to, and I picked the seminary I wanted wanted to go to. Prayed about it, and um, and and God saw me go there. It was He's sovereign over everything happens, everything that happens, and if sin's involved, He holds that person responsible. But He's sovereign over everything, and so the fact that I went to to the, to the seminary and I wrote this thesis because God, um, He uh, ordained this before the foundation of the world. Every single step that I make is predestined, and so. You can't take that away. And I'm going to answer for this. I'm going to answer for the arguments that I'm making this. I'm going to answer for whether I practiced eisegesis or exegesis, or whether I was influenced by um, just what man's saying, or was I interested in drawing out God's intended meaning, uh, interested in thinking his thoughts after him. All Christians need to think his thoughts after him. We need to sharpen each other and and work it. And and it takes work, but um, he provides illumination, God the Spirit. It's a supernatural um, understand, yeah. understanding work of God to understand the author's intended meaning. Mm-hmm. So every, everyone can read. And here's the thing. I mean, MacArthur, when I was in seminary, and other guys, um, you know, professors and stuff, they, they said the same thing. They said, you know, you can be here in seminary and, and not be converted. You know, the master seminary does not have the perfect filter um, there's there's guys that have gone through there that have uh, that were unconverted. Yeah. Some converted afterwards. Some dropped out and realized it halfway through. Had some integrity and stepped back. But some were so stiff-necked that they kept pressing forward. And he said, "Look, I can." I remember MacArthur bringing this up. You know, I can teach you the um, the exegesis. I can teach you the Greek and the Hebrew, but that doesn't make you a Christian. You must be born again. And Steve Lawson said, "You must be born again." And everyone was talking about regeneration and new birth. And so there's tests of biblical assurance from 1 John that bring out uh, that, 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 that we're to test ourselves to see if we're you know, in the faith. He's talking about in Corinthians, but there's, there's, um, there's quite a bit in 1 John. And, and it's so that you will know that you have eternal life. And so these, um, these, these descriptions, tests of a true believer in 1 John, um, are something, something positive that you look at your life and is it there? And if it is there, you can have full assurance of salvation that you're in, that you're in him, that you're in Christ Jesus, and he saved you from the wrath, wrath to come. They died on the cross for your sins, and that his perfect righteousness was charged to your account when you trusted in him to be saved from the wrath of God, and that he was raised from the dead for our justification. And so uh, John wants his readers to have full assurance of salvation if they're reflecting uh, biblical fruit and they're yeah. reflecting those um those tests there in first john and so i bring that up at the end of, end of the thesis and that's not an appeal to um sinless perfectionism because he brings that up in chapter one and in chapter three and i bring that I, I appeal to those texts there um in the thesis at the end so um having said all that um i want to i want to end and then I want you guys to jump in too, because this is important. I know you guys feel very strongly about this and um, is about true unity, true biblical unity. And so uh, people are, are united with Black Lives Matter because um, of the world system, but um, they're, they're appealing to Marxism. And so they're all Marxists. 
And so they're, they're all ra- rallying around that and, and they're unified, that group. And so uh, other people are unified, other things. You know, there's the fraternity that, that men are unified. Personal ambition. Personal yeah. ambition because they just look like each other. Okay, but for us, that's not the case. Um, we really all, all of us have different ethnicities. If you're talking about nations and you're talking about how far back our, you know, our family heritage goes, uh, we're, you know, I, I would, I would, uh, I would say. Um, yeah. Cause we're, cause, 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 uh, because remember. Yeah, well, well, less than obvious. Well, well, yeah, well, well <laughs> Then no, no, I mean, like even Duran and Chris. I mean, you know, there's... yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm nine percent Scandinavian. So. Well, he's a, he's a he's a light skinned guy who thinks he's better than dark skinned guys. I am. That's a whole, that's a whole other podcast. I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like again, I, I mean, black black and white, black and white are not ethnicities. They're right. not ethnicities. They're made up by the U.S. Yeah. Census Bureau, and they're used sardonically for the last three hundred years, maybe even further back. But black or white is not an ethnicity. Nope. Um, you know, you're you're from you're from a, a, a tribe, people, nation. In in Greek is ethnos, or we get the word ethnicity. And so, even Mike and I have European um, heritage that's distinct from one another. Yeah. You know, he's he's more Irish and Italian. I'm more Germanic. And so, if you go back, there's those distinctions, just like there's those tribal distinctions in Africa. I got a little Native American too. I want my reparations. <laughs> so, so, so the- I'm, I'm partly from the Ivory Coast. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. So, Woo! I didn't yeah. So, DNA. <laughs> <He's stupid>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but that's really important for what I'm what I'm saying. It's like yes. you know, it's not you know, it's not because of uh, you know uh, what tribe we're from or you know whether we all play basketball as yeah. as as the, uh, our favorite thing is basketball and that's why we're friends um, or fishing or, or fill in the blank, 40 you know, acres, man, 40 acres. Or, or we all graduated from, from, uh, you know, the same <laughs> college, the same college yeah. or, or we have all master's degrees or we're all doctors or whatever, whatever fraternity you want to pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're united on biblical truth. And so I want to finish by reading those two passages so, so I think, I think when it comes to unity, there's a pseudo unity that's yeah. re- reflective of things that are fleeting, that are, that, um, that are uh, not important when you're talking about what really unites us. And then there's the true biblical unity. And so the first one I want to read, and you can bring that up on the this, this screen, the scripture yep. is uh, Philippians chapter two, verses one through four. Philippians chapter two, verses one through four. Mm-hmm. Because the whole point of why Moeller brought had this uh, this idea is he wanted to unify people, which you know I, I commend him for wanting to unify people, but there's an ecumenical unity that uh, is not biblical. Biblical. It's not coming from exegesis. It's yeah. more you know eisegetical, and it's just based on it could be based on many things. So it's uh yeah Philippians chapter two. Verses one through four. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, fellowship of the Spirit, something that He produces, that fellowship, 
if, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, go to uh, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. So he's talking about, you know, unity that God the Spirit produces. Now, this is really important. I bring this up in the thesis. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Verse 3 is so important. Listen to this. Yeah. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul does not say create unity. Yeah. Which Moeller's trying to do is trying to create unity. But instead, we're supposed to preserve the unity that's already there. And that's based on apostolic doctrine. Taking the torch of, from the apostles, apostolic doctrine is what we're united on in New Testament doctrine from the apostles we're supposed to preserve that not create um unity that's alien from that but to preserve the unity that's there and it's not an emotional unity it's not a unity based on multiple denominations this is apostolic doctrine that we're we're to uh, unify around and preserve it's already there it's already theirs you don't create it he says be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit just as also you were called in one hope of your calling one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who's over all and through all and in all now listen the reason why i'm saying this is a doctrinal argument this unity is in the same context, if you go down to verse 12, it talks about gifts and, and the gifting uh, that he gives. And then in verse 12, Paul wrote, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith yeah. and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the statue, stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for building up of itself in love. This is appeal. This unity is appeal to doctrine. And so we're not to uh, be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but we're to be united and 
preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, which is sound doctrine, apostolic doctrine. And as the church is concerned, sound apostolic doctrine, the New Testament, is how we're to, is what we're to be unified when we're concerning how God, we're talking about uh, how God wants his church to function, how God wants his church to be laid out, um, uh, the blueprints for, for how he wants us to conduct ourselves as Christians. And so that's, that's the, the biblical unity. It's there in Ephesians 4, he's talking about it. This is a doctrinal issue. It's not just, it's not an emotional appeal or fraternity or to be united on military, medical, or business pragmatism. Yeah. Does anyone want to add anything to that? I know. Well, I know what did it for me. I know you, you told your story about how you came to realize that the triage was false. Um, for me, it was because at first I agree with it. I said, like, okay, you know, this kind of makes sense. Cause you know, it kind of, in my mind, it, it, it makes sense. Like it does maintain unity in a sense, cause you're not fighting as much over doctrine because now you can say well that's not really essential so let's not quarrel over it but yeah, one, sure. day, one day I was I don't remember what the site was but I went and I was looking at uh, trying to define what was primary secondary tertiary and the site had the different denominations but it had a list of which one uh, which doctrines each one held as primary secondary and tertiary and they were all different and so right at that point that's when the holy spirit just kind of arrested me and i was just like well wait a minute this doesn't make sense you know if because nobody agrees on what's primary what's secondary and what's tertiary it's it's all over it, the place. It, it's sub. It's subjective. subjective. So, yeah. You, yeah. you get to you get to you get to pick and choose. Yeah, and so I I finally got to the ba point where I was like, you know, I need to just. I came to the point where I realized that every every verse in the Bible is valuable. It doesn't matter, you know, what it is. No, nothing's like this is here and this is there and this is no. It's, it's all it's all yeah. God's standard. It's all God breathed. Right. Yeah. So if it comes from God, I mean, this is Spurgeon. That's what, that's what Charles Spurgeon points out. Um, and I, and uh, let, me, let me read that quote, actually. We're going to have to bring it up again. But in, in, in a thesis, I, I bring that up. Um, page 16. Page 16. Page 16. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is what Charles – so everyone wants to say Charles Spurgeon is their favorite guy. He's a prince of preachers. But, you know, he would take exception to doctrinal triage. There's no way around it. And the reason why I say that is because listen to this. Um, this is from Spurgeon. Um, there is another inconvenience to which you will most certainly be exposed, namely that you will be charged falsely. Some will say you make too much of non-essentials. That is a thing I frequently hear, non-essentials, exclamation point. There are certain things in Scripture they tell us that are non-essentials, and, and therefore they are not to be taken notice of, ellipsis. And if I found that in Holy Scripture, there were doctrines even of less value, he said, if he found them, then the greater points of our Christian religion, I should still think it would be my duty to bow my judgment and to turn any intellect to reception of God's truth just as God sent it forth. That idea about non-essentials, Spurgeon goes on to write, 
is wicked and rebellious. Mm. So, so you think that he's your favorite preacher? <laughs> he's he's the prince of preachers, and you love him. You love that. You love that emotional feeling you get when you read a Spurgeon. Did you really read a Spurgeon? That idea about non-essential Spurgeon says is wicked and rebellious. This is what he said. This is what he wrote. Mm-hmm. Cast it from you, he goes on to write. Go outside the camp. Be particular in every point, Spurgeon goes on to write. To the tiniest jot and tittle, seek to obey your master's will and seek his grace so that you may, wa- you may walk in the ways of his commandments with a perfect heart. And so I think that's great advice from Master Spurgeon. And I think that's uh, what, you know, we need to take heed to that. Uh, but again, we're not peeling man. So I, I do want to go through this. I want to go through uh, each one of these chapters and bring up these arguments so that people that are listening, uh, whether they agree, uh, if they agree, uh, to strengthen them in that and, and they can test it. And if you disagree to, to bring it, bring it forth. I challenge you to debate us. Don't be a coward. Don't be a keyboard warrior hiding behind Facebook, blocking people and, um, and, you know, trying to create the mood of the mob and, and a false narrative, but, but you stand forth and show some courage and, uh, and debate you know, yeah, I, I I would say, brother, to lastly add, you know, these evangelical leaders and <clears throat> these big evangelical factories have to also come to terms with what they're hustling. Because if you look at this triage issue, it, it the theological triage is not creating, uh, not creating the unity that they claim it does. You know, I'm watching men at, at each other's throats uh, within the evangelical, the modern evangelical machine. I mean, they're going after each other about political things. Sure. Uh, so, you know, I, I would say that it's time for everybody to get back to looking at the Bible as God's only word, as God's only truth and addressing man's a lot on this earth. Uh, you know, if, if, again, people are taking exception with one another based on, you know, political interests and, you know, all these other things. And I think, I think that that's a mark of God, perhaps trying to show men that, you know, they've, they've really fallen away from the scriptures themselves being, being primary in the life and, uh, and maturation of the believer. Mike, you got anything? Yeah, we can't all be right. No. So, so it's the bottom line. So everyone listening in reality of life, not everyone can be right. So if you take two people, one person could be wrong. One person could be right. Both can be wrong, but they both can't be right. That's right. So you must measure everything against the word of God. Yeah, they're saying two different things that, you know, that contradict one they another. Contradict. And so they, you, could bo- they, they could both be wrong, but they can't both be right if they're saying different things. Absolutely. 100%. They cannot be. And so a lot of this uh, faux unity, uh, I, I'll, I'm going to go to it, stems from the fact that they have widened the way. Mm. And so it's easier to widen the way. And to, and, to, and to usher in many people into their kingdoms than, than, than the truth. And so the, the path is narrow if you find it. And so that reality, I'm not imputing uh, to Moeller, that's what he intended to do, but that's what many people intend to do when they run with it. And so that, that reality is we're unified on truth and doctrine alone, and that's it. And so the moment you step outside of that, you, you fall outside of, the, outside of biblical truth. Oh, yeah. so we're just here to be unified on truth, to draw people to the truth, to people know the truth. Uh, we're not saying we have the monopoly on truth, but God's word is clear and is laid out. 
And like Eric said, if you think we haven't clearly laid something out, come, come, come before us and bring it. Come before us and bring it. Because this so-called faux unity, I mean, the moment you decide that you're going to a denomination, you have been a separatist. You are a hypocrite. You have created doctrinal divisions. So, so repent of your hypocrisy. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. it gets old hearing these same old tired arguments, but you're saying you're unified, but you go every Sunday to a place that holds two doctrinal beliefs that you believe to be true, and you separate from those that do not. So what we're saying is all truth matters. All biblical truth laid out in, the, in, in God's word matters. And yep. so you don't get to separate that. You don't get to dichotomize it to, to fit your, your own agenda, your own kingdom. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and going back to what Chris, Chris was saying about, um, about the, when, when he was discovering that uh, different people are having different answers for different tiers, that just goes to show you how dangerous this thing is and yes. how people are using it as a biblical, biblical hermeneutic. They're interpreting the Bible this way with, through this paradigm, through this, this, uh, this thing that uh, Mueller created. Okay, so that's that's why it's dangerous because that's that's why I take exception uh, because I I'm saying that the only way to interpret the Bible is through the literal grammatical historical hermeneutic, and so that's when this becomes dangerous when you're using it as a, as a principle yes. of interpretation. Right, absolutely. And just to close, just just so that we're clear with you guys that are listening, we challenge each other. <laughs> We don't just pat each other on the back and say, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, that's cool. You know, if 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 Duran, if I say something and Duran thinks it's questionable, he's he's questioning me. He's not just like, oh, I'm just going to let that slide because he loves me enough to say, hey, no, no, that's not right. I want you to be right. This is why I don't think that's right. And yeah. Eric and Mike, Duran, myself, we'll all do the same thing and we'll talk it out. We'll hash it out. And we'll try to get down to the bottom of the truth through proper exegesis, the literal grammatical historical hermeneutic. You know, we've okay. argued about we've argued about what Romans seven. I used to be a male at one point, <laughs> and you know they they challenged me about my amillennial views. You know everything. You know we we don't oh, we're, yeah. not, we're not just you it's know not an echo chamber coming after you. Yeah, it's it's not. We're just like some collective group think. No, we challenge each other as well. Yeah, and early on, uh, to help you out, Chris, I was kind of leaning that way too. Like, if you go back, if you go back to like two thousand like nine, you know, um, and I, I had questions too. I was leaning that way because of uh, a lot of it was just like my favorite theologians, and I was yeah. finding out that, that a lot of them were holding that position. So I started to get bothered, you know, st you know, reading Revelation and and going over these features, and I was leaning that direction too so yeah yeah well, all right you guys i just well, yeah. appreciate these gentlemen you, you got something else right quick eric yeah i was just gonna say so i mean if, if you guys are if you guys are good with that i mean i think we should go through this Absolutely. and go over go over all these points and uh oh yeah we challenge are those those listening and stuff you know just do a series on this and uh go through the thesis go go over uh in, in more in depth of depth the um these these scriptures here mm -hmm. you know, my argument why uh the literal grammatical historical hermeneutic is scripture self-attested hermeneutic you know why that we need to interpret the bible that way and describe the historical context behind this thing mm -hmm. um does the bible teach this you know i i went through the passages that 
I read Moeller's position. I read another guy who wrote a thesis that went to the same school. He did MDiv at the Masters, and I and I, I appealed to his and uh, his thesis. I read it, and um, I reflect his thoughts. You know, he he holds the other side. Um, some other people, I bring them up in there. You know, I want to bring that out what they're saying. So I wanted to look at their arguments. What are they saying about this particular passage? And this particular passage, are they practicing exegesis? Yeah, and I'm going to acquire that book from Crossway too. Yes, and yeah, and there's another thing. Um, you know, th th this this has been registered academically. It has been copywritten, and so Crossway put out a book called "What's the name of the book?" A hill Every, to die on. A hill to die said. on. Yeah. And so I'm saying, you know, because you can Google doctrinal triage, and I'm I'm the second. Uh, person that comes up but theological triage you know it's much later that i come up but if you type in doctrinal triage uh, you have Mueller first and then me and so if they did real research in that thing and, and they're just not trying to um flood people or like duran pointed out uh, over over publish by just presenting their their position and not uh going over um and i don't care if they come at me in it and say hey this guy said this or wrote this and 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 this is why he's wrong and to challenge it you know even if they present me um you know th they disagree etc i mean you need to you need to do your research you need to bring that up and uh or just call your book a devotional and not a real exercise of exegesis it's not exegesis it's, it's just a devotional it's like a john piper devotional well it's fitting it's crossway so you know uh, yes you so <laughs> um so so you know it, I, I, I came out with this in 2016. And so I went to, I, I gathered all the resources, both people who I thought agree with me or disagree with me. doesn't matter. I wanted to read what everyone had to say about this. And I wanted to go to the scripture and examine what they're saying to what the scripture teaches. Yeah. And so you have to, you, you got to do that. This isn't, you know, we're not trying to entertain people. We're not trying to make people feel fuzzy. Um, and uh and have a um um esoteric devotional mm -hmm. you know just uh just everything's esoteric and allegorical <clears throat> you know we want to have real legitimate uh exegesis and um an exposition all right all right so that is episode 13 folks i almost forgot what episode we were on um but in closing i just want to welcome you guys that if you want to challenge us if you want to come on i i don't have an issue with it i know these guys don't have an issue with it if you want to actually come on and and disagree with us uh formally on this podcast you can do so all you gotta do is shoot me a message uh or shoot one of these guys a message say hey look i don't agree with what you guys are saying and i i think i i think i want to have my voice heard as as an as an opposing view but at the same time, you have to be ready for what's coming because we're going to be ready for, for your arguments. You got to be ready for what we return to you, you know. And so, you know, we're, we're open podcasts. You know, we even I even give you space to disagree in the comment section if you want to. So, again, Eric has offered a challenge. Mike has offered a challenge. I'm offering it. Devron has offered it. If you want to come on, and yeah, but listen, listen, listen first to the the arguments right. that are right. that re, 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 this thesis is available, by the way, at the Biblical Christ Research Institute. The link is um, 
bcri.wordpress.com bcri.wordpress.com and then you can search is there any biblical warrant for the doctrinal triage yep. and then you'll see you'll see a picture of the rod of asclepius it's um it's like a star it's, it's really the star of life and then you have the rod of asclepius a snake wrapped around a pole uh that's not the link but underneath there's a sentence is there any biblical warrant for the doctrinal triage question mark it's smaller underneath that picture yeah. click on that and you can download the thesis offline it's available for to anyone for free we also we also have um we have hard copies that that are free and if you really want one i w- i will ship it to you chris yeah. has one he's in arizona duran has them well. mike has i have five uh duran's in uh Santa Clarita, California. Uh, Mike and I are in Maryland, and so uh, if you really want one, we will uh, let me know. I got plenty of them. I will. I will ship, ship them to you. To you. Yeah. Now, now the last thing, brother, that I have to say. Uh, the other side of this, we've opened this forum to you. What is unacceptable is the infeminate gossip, and going on your pages, and and these guys know who I'm talking to, and and uh, setting up straw men and slandering people's uh, good walk in Christ and making up things and cackling and piling it on and going into your private chat rooms and saying stuff. And, you know, that's unbefitting. If you're claiming to be a Christian, that's certainly unbefitting. Uh, you better be right about who you think we are if you're going to engage in that. You're right. Uh, the answer for it. Exactly. But so you have the forum. So instead of doing that, uh, reach out as men would do, because Paul said, act like men. Exactly. And let's discuss this thesis and let's discuss why you disagree with it, because we believe that strongly that it deals with the hermeneutical principle that the Bible lays out for itself. Yeah. And let's debate doctrine like uh, mature men and not be carried to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. And what Paul's talking about, he's talking about false doctrine, how it takes people and moves them around, you know, so Mm -hmm. mature men, men that are mature. Right. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not just, gonna i don't want anybody to think that i'm shutting the door at the triage if you want to talk about any doctrinal issue oh yeah or any social issue that we bring up it doesn't matter what it is we we are willing to have have you on and and have a discussion like grown men yeah 100 percent. whether it's the podcast or the articles at the on the wordpress yeah. or things <clears throat> that, post, that are posted on facebook etc so you you have no excuse now the door is open so you don't have an excuse so that's the end of this podcast. Uh, let's just thank my brothers, Deron Gladden, <laughs> Michael Wellen, and Eric Powers uh, for coming on. I hope Mike will be able to come on a little more often. I know he's a busy man. Um, and I know there's a time difference between us and them, but I'm just grateful that um, everybody's able to come on almost almost weekly. So, I mean, that's just really good. And it, it's an opportunity for, for us to fellowship with one another um, in a way that we don't really get to. Hopefully one day God will bring us all together in one place. We'll, we'll always be <laughs> around each other. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I hope the Lord works that out. Um, so next week we'll continue uh, the doctrinal triage discussion. We'll get into the, the thesis, uh, the, the introduction probably, and maybe get a little further than that because I know we got to talk about Mel Denius and some other things yes were mentioned in the introduction so sure all right so you guys have a great week 
And uh, we will see you next Sunday. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been Train of Thought, a podcast of the Biblical Christ Research Institute. For our written articles, go to bcri.wordpress.com. And for sermons, go to SoundCloud and search Biblical Christ Church. For comments and questions, email us at bcritrainofthought at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.